Hey there, and welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I'm your host, Sarah Fonslow, the Chief Impact Officer of Thrive Impact, and our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout. Burnout is the enemy of creating positive change. And we want to connect you with impactful, mission driven leaders as well as tools so that you can learn to thrive in today's nonprofit landscape. I'm joined today, as usual, by Tucker Wanamaker, CEO of Thrive Impact. Hey, Tucker. Hey, it's good to be here with you, Sarah. Hey, you too. So today we're going to talk about conscious leadership, right? Yeah, and making the case for leadership development within nonprofits. Yeah, this is such an interesting topic. Um, For those of you out there, I am super excited to be embarking on a new master's program in evaluation and applied research going deeper into my research roots. And one of the awesome things I've been able to do is spend some time digging around the background um, of the problem that we are solving here at Thrive Impact and gain more research and data to support our cause. And I found some really interesting stuff. And Tucker, I wanted to share some of it with you and and get your thoughts. And, and, and some of I know you have a ton of research to share as well. But you know, just starting with the role of nonprofits, oftentimes I think we come in and just assume everyone is on the page about why nonprofits matter in the first place. Mm. And the, the, the truth is that that's not true. A lot of folks don't really know. And there's some really, there's tons of great research out there. I have a few studies that I just wanted to share briefly <clears throat> with folks. Um, One is that, you know, there's been some really interesting research in the role of nonprofits actually helping to reduce violence. So when there's community-based nonprofits in um, certain areas, literally homicide rates are dropping. Um, Secondly, nonprofits are promoting health and well-being. So we're literally again seeing, you know, the reduction of obesity as it relates to uh, the support of nonprofits filling the health gap that exists in this country. And then the final one that I love is really around trust. Um, You know, right now in our country and in our world, quite frankly, there's such an issue of trust between people and between people and institutions. And there's a 2020 study from the BBB Wise Giving Alliance that came to the conclusion that U.S. adults trust charities more than any other institution, including the church and including other government organizations, which for me was just mind blowing, right? People trust nonprofits more than any other institution in this country. It's crazy. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, and I know too, economically speaking, uh, the nonprofit sector is at least uh, 10% of the workforce, if, yep. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, correct? I think that comes out of independent center yep. or independent sector, I should say. Um, basically, nonprofits are an incredibly important undergirding of our entire communities. Yep. Uh, yeah. And both from an impact perspective, but also from an economic perspective, right? There are a lot of jobs inside of nonprofit work. Yeah, yeah. One... There's a significant role that nonprofits play. Yeah, you're totally right. And one study I recently found showed that between 2007 and 2016, nonprofit employment grew at nearly three times the rate of for-profit employment. So when you actually just think about the growth of the sectors, the nonprofit sector is really growing in terms of its share of the population that it employs. So you're right, it's a huge, it's not just about the impact it has on the communities, but it's a huge um, driver of an employment and therefore um, economic value in our country. Mm. Yeah. But so interestingly, but, yeah, go ahead. Well, this is where 
nonprofits play such a significant role in our communities around impact, around economy, uh, just straight up jobs. I mean, so many different factors, kind of the undergirding of our communities. But what's really going on? Uh, what's really happening underneath the surface when we look at the nonprofit landscape? What is our case that we're trying to make here today yeah. around leadership? Definitely. Well, for me, if it starts with the fact that, you know, while nonprofits are really important, the sectors face some really significant and chronic challenges, which COVID has in many ways made worse. So in 2020, the Council of Nonprofits found that 70% of nonprofits saw a decrease in funds and less than 25% of folks who are res responding to the survey had more than six months of cash reserve. So that's just telling us that there's a lot of financial instability in the sector, which in some ways COVID uh, exacerbated or made worse. I think the other thing that we know and has gotten worse in the pandemic again is that as folks are trying to compete for employees, right? We've seen the great resignation mm -hmm. and then a real challenge with hiring that the nonprofits are unable to compete in terms of salary. So four out of five nonprofits are unable to meet salary competition, which means that bringing in wow. talent is really tough. Yeah, I was shocked by that statistic. And then finally, I think the other thing that adds to this is that you know, there's systemic inequality in the nonprofit sector, and we've talked about this before, but 72% of nonprofits are women-led, 72%. And yet the gender gap, pay gap, exists in the nonprofit sector. And so you think about staying in the sector for a long time as a woman where you're being paid less, your 401k isn't as much as it would be if you were in the private sector, you can't get your retirement ready, right? And you think it creates a disincentive for folks to stay in those jobs. You know, beyond financial instability, and, and in many cases tied to it is the challenge of nonprofit leadership, which is really what we're here to discuss. And so, mm -hmm. you know, nonprofits are financially unstable, they're lacking reserves, they can't compete on salary, and guess what? Also, many of them struggle to offer the training and the leadership development that, that folks need in order to be the leaders their nonprofits need from them, right? Mm, and so, mm. uh, you know, I think something like 73% of nonprofit leaders indicated they don't have the resources they need to develop their own leadership, and that the lack of that came only second to only um, salary in terms of challenges related to retention, right? So people are saying, number one, I'm not making enough money, but number two, I don't have opportunities to grow here. And that's impacting the decision of folks to stay. So those are all really mm. significant. Well, those are significant too, because I'm thinking, you know, there are, I, I, I've thought about this myself as uh, having been in many nonprofits that, you know, they're as a part of this great, great resignation, sometimes that's money, but many times that's a lack of meaning or a lack of value or a lack of um, a great culture or uh, ways to grow. And, you know, I know, you know, people who have plenty of money. And in fact, I'm thinking of a, of a dear friend of mine uh, who's who's actually a lawyer, as an example. And he um, they were continuing to bump up their pay. Mm. And he's like, no, 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 please don't. Because he didn't want to have more of the golden handcuffs. He wanted to have a culture of learning. He wanted to have a culture where there was space for his life. Uh, he wanted to grow and and go deeper. Um, and so I'm thinking about what are these other currencies involved that I'm not sure how how you know the revenue component is going to 
be addressed necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. However, what are some of the other components as well? Although it's interesting in our own data that we'll share a little bit that, that we notice that when people have and are invested in from a leadership development perspective, their revenue actually goes up. Well, exactly. That That's the thing here is that it's not a nice to have, right? So the the fact that um, the lack of opportunities is coming second only in, in relation to, to salary is a really good indicator. And, you know, nonprofit salaries are not the same as for-profit. So I think it makes sense that for nonprofit leaders, salary comes first and opportunities to grow come second. Maybe once they're at parity with with the private sector that will shift. But, um, you know, the the reality is that um, folks, what we've seen and the data that we have is that um, the investment in leadership and particularly the inner work of leadership, which we'll talk about in a minute, is really strongly correlated with a business's bottom line, right? And so the mm-hmm. more impactful and effective a leader can be, the better off their business is going to be, whether they're for profit or nonprofit. And so mm-hmm. investing, again, is not just a, oh, this is a great thing for the individual, but quite frankly, it's an investment for the organization. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you spoke to some of the things of what's going on, and also to this, you know, a frame that we use a lot, but is is the fact that the day and age that we're in, hence why things like the great resignation have been going on or uh, things like quiet quitting, as an example, is we're in a time of significant uncertainty and complexity in general. Um, You know, the speed, this this comes from um, uh, Eric Teller, who's the former head of Google X and from Thomas Friedman's book, Thank You for Being Late. But the speed and the, the speed of change and the complexity of that change has been happening at a more exponential rate Yet our ability to adapt to that as humans uh, has been a lot more linear. Yes. Um, and we, many of us find ourselves, and you know, we do this in a, in a workshop all the time, and I say, how many of you nonprofit leaders have experienced that exact feeling, which is you're looking around you at the speed and the complexity of change happening around you, and you're not sure how to adapt. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much everybody raises their hand, including me, by the way, sometimes. I, you know, I raise my hand, too. And what happens in, our, in, our, in ourselves many times when that's happening is that the demands on us are exceeding the resources available to us. And by the way, like I don't think it's always, resources are not always money, although that is a part as we're talking about, but there are other forms of currency. There are other resources available to us. But we know based on Dr. Daniel Friedland's work from Leading Well From Within, he was a neuroscientist. He's uh, He was a dear mentor of mine. Um, and you know he, he said when demands exceed resources, reactivity, burnout, and turnover results in results. And that's what happens in nonprofits. And especially, especially in small community-based and BIPOC-led nonprofits. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's just the the challenges that are happening at the sector level are exacerbated in these smaller organizations who even have, you know, larger challenges related to revenue, uh, something... I found a really interesting. Oh yeah, Bridgeband and Echo and Green did a really great report looking at um, uh, diver- how small BIPOC-led organizations are doing, and they found and just the disparities in funding, and they found that ec- revenues for Black-led nonprofits are twenty-four percent smaller than for white-led nonprofits, which is just crazy, right? And the reality is that leadership development and training in that context then becomes even harder, right? So some research found that leadership development for small community-based nonprofits 
is even further less invested in, right, because of revenue challenges than other nonprofits. And if they have access to anything, it's kind of a one-off workshop there or a one-off workshop here, rather than deeply integrated work that really mm -hmm. helps to drive change. So it's both about, you know, the the type of leadership development that folks go through, but also the duration and intensity, as we know, and, and is part of, I think, the approach that we take mm -hmm. with folks. Yeah, and yet, uh, you know, I'm thinking about our work right now with the Pikes Peak Community Foundation as an example. And, uh, you know, we did a whole lot of uh, interviews ahead of time with CEOs and the EDs of these small community-based nonprofits that we're working with the Community Foundation with around our Thriver program. And, uh, you know, it was so fascinating when, I remember talking with Scott that one time as an example. And when, you know, when, when we were talking about this as leadership development just for them, uh, or when it was implied that that was almost what it was. Yeah. And then we said, no, this is actually for your whole staff. Right. Your whole staff has access to this. Yeah. I mean, man, you could tell the energy just popped on. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Like my whole team, because I don't have the resources, but right. I want. I, yes. My whole, we all need this. Yeah, um, we found that ourselves. You're totally right. Everybody said, oh, professional development is so important and I don't have the money to pay for it. So does this mean that I can help my staff grow? You're right. You're totally right, Tucker. But Sarah, if I'm a funder, if I'm a funder, right, and this is what I keep thinking about is we know based on both uh, Dr. Daniel Friedland's work, a lot of the studies that you're talking about, there's a great study around um, from Leadership Circle, uh, which did a study on, I think it was 68,000 different uh, leadership 360 circle assessments yeah. and showed that people who are uh, in reactivity oriented mindsets, which typically when they're in that state for a long time, burnout and turnover are happening, that it completely debilitates and undercuts philanthropic investments in nonprofit programs. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that burnout debilitates not only the leader, but it also erodes the culture. And ultimately, like one of the things that we say, as we said, as you said earlier, burnout is the enemy of creating positive change. You can't do so if it. I'm a funder. Yeah, exactly. Like if I'm a funder, uh, you know, or if I'm somebody who is philanthropically giving to support impact, what should I be thinking about around this particular issue? Yeah. Yeah. There's some great new work on this. But I th one of the things that we found is that less than 1% of foundation dollars are going to leadership development. And so the first thing I think for funders is just they need to they need to fund this work. They need to fund the work for nonprofits to provide capacity building and professional development to their staff. And so part of it is just about re-looking at priorities when it comes to foundation dollars. Oftentimes foundations are giving to programs, right? They're saying, go achieve this impact and do this thing with these people outside of the organization without wanting to think about or pay attention to what it takes inside internally for the people to execute on that work. And I mean, I know you, you know, too, I've been in many a nonprofit and a funder has said, <clears throat> Oh, I'm not going to pay for staff dollars, right? Straight up, I'm not going to pay for staff dollars. Um, or I don't, you know, the overhead associated with this grant proposal has to look like this. And that really undercuts the nonprofit's ability to deliver on the work with excellence while taking care of and supporting their staff. Mm. Well, which actually gets to an interesting point that I, I kind of want to riff with you on here is there's also some stats around like when we're talking about leadership development, what are we really talking about? Because there's certainly some 
you know, uh, to me, I think if a funder or people who are investing in nonprofits are not investing in the leaders, not just the issue, but the leaders in some yeah. way, it's ultimately a bad investment, right? It's it's reducing impact. It's reducing their ability to grow, grow or grow revenue. But not all leadership development is the same. No, it's right? not created equal. Yeah. It's not created equal. And you were just saying that, like, I, I mean, I could I empathize with somebody, for, you know, who's potentially philanthropically funding a nonprofit saying, I don't want to fund this one off as an example, yeah. right? I don't want to yeah. fund this like one off organization to do this. And we have to do all these one offs, which a lot of times uh, philanthropic organizations who are creating catalysts for nonprofits do these one offs. There's always these it's always these one offs like they're almost like a, a hub with a whole bunch of spokes and no wheel, right? Totally. It's like a whole bunch of spokes sticking yeah. out of the hub as a one-off, I'm gonna fund this, a one-off, I'm gonna fund this, yeah. a one-off, I'm gonna fund this. But that's not very efficient. Um, so what are we talking about when we're talking about yeah. leadership development? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and, and you're right, I mean, to be fair and put ourselves in the chairs of the funders, there are so many studies on the ineffectiveness of leadership programs, right? So yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of data to suggest why folks are hesitant here. Um, and some of that <clears throat> is around, um, there's a really interesting study. M McKinsey actually has some really great insights around why leadership development um, fails. And, and one of their reports found that um, you know, training programs are failing to support individuals and in really learning and changing due to their lack of focus on mindset and behavior, right? So a lot of leadership Ooh. development programs are focused on kind of the external side of it, and they're not addressing the behaviors and mindset. And without a behavior and mindset shift, the leadership's not changing, right? And mm -hmm. so I, I thought that was really a a fantastic um, insight because I think we've seen that, right? And that's a little bit yeah. how our work is is different. Yeah, no, exactly. It's almost like so much of leadership development work is either like a summer camp experience, yeah, which, which is I your hate. favorite, Sarah, I know. <laughs> I hate Just summer kidding. camp, everyone. Not, <laughs> Sarah hates summer camp. Um, or it's so cognitive, right? It's about like, and not, I don't want to, this is where I want to differentiate between mindset versus like knowledge. Um, so cognitive in terms of uh, theories and ways in which to do it. But the reality is, and we've been noticing this too, and we continue to embed literal practices in the room uh, of every single workshop that we do because we're realizing how deeply important this is to your point around behavior shift yeah. and a mindset shift too, which is, the part, you know, so much of the way that we shift our mind is not through theory, but is actually through experience. Yeah. And then not just not just having the experience, but then reflecting on our experience that we learn much more as adults from not only each other, but also from not just from our experience, but by actually reflecting on our experience and exploring what that Absolutely. was. Yeah, it's this piece around self-awareness, right? And um, another report from McKinsey that I, I really loved talked about it in relation to inner agility. Uh, inner agility and, and said that it was marked by several core competencies or traits, including the ability to ask better questions. If you've listened to other podcasts of ours, you know we're big on that. Asking better questions, pausing, taking the time to not just drive forward, but to stop and think be comfortable not knowing the answers and then setting the direction, not the destination. And Tucker, when I read this report, I was like, oh my gosh. 
So good. This is all the work at the base of appreciative inquiry meets conscious leadership, right? It's knowing your inner self and then having a set of tools that allow you to engage with others in a co-creative fashion towards a, uh, a destination, right? Rather than a specific set of goals, which I just, I, I just mm -hmm. love. I love that too. Hence why if you, yeah, as Sarah was mentioning our old, or not old, but the, some of our podcasts we've done on strategic planning that we actually don't even like the word plan because it feels too done. Yeah. It doesn't feel like something we can learn into, but if it's a strategic direction and yes, words matter, uh, as, as the old quote says, words create worlds. Mm. And, uh, if we say strategic plan, it feels like it's a little done. Yeah. But it, strategic direction feels like this is a journey we're all going on. Um, and that's so interesting that we were we were using that before you found this study. Yes. And yeah. and and it was just this natural like we've we got to give some people to embark on a journey here yeah. that this is the beginning of this journey in this direction um, as opposed to like, here's the thing that's done. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know. Tucker, I know we can't show people something up on the screen, although we can share it in our the, the notes, but one of the things that we use to talk to people about kind of high performance versus low performance leadership or reactive leadership versus creative leadership is this scatter plot that the leadership circle put together of the aggregate results from all of these 360 assessments that uh, leaders across the globe have taken, not just in the US, that really show the correlation between a set of competencies and traits and the the growth of an organization and the effective working of that organization. And um, part of some of those traits, right, are about relating well to others. They're, you know, about being mindful around yourself. And some of them on the reactive side are around being controlling, being complying, being pleasing, right? And And one of the pieces, that I love that Dr. Danny says is it's not necessarily that reactivity is bad, but the question is, when does it serve you? When does mm -hmm. it serve you? Um, and like really as a leader, the first step is being aware of where I am. Am I sitting in reactivity or am I sitting in creativity? Then having the tools to be able to shift if it serves you into another space. Um, and uh, you know, and really using those tools of pausing, noticing, and choosing to, as a leader, direct where you're going and how you're working with others. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about too. Um, how how do we get in spaces? As uh, as I was I was listening through a, a training that Dr. Daniel Friedland did uh, last year, um, and what he was saying was, is you know, we've all been in those. Uh, in those situations where we've been reactive, right? We've been in those spaces where uh, we're we're being triggered and then we get into fight, flight, and, or freeze, where we're fighting against stress or we're flighting against what's giving us stress or we're fighting against uh, somebody who's, you know, or something that's creating self-doubt or we're fleeing from something that helps, that shows us self-doubt uh, or, or perpetuates more self-doubt. Um, and he's like, there's so much research around um, the spirals of reactivity and going down into our brainstem uh, and the neuroscience behind this. But he's also looking at what creates the spiral up into creativity. Mm. What creates the spiral up into creativity? And part of what he was sharing was um, one of one of the quotes that I love so much from him is, if if we want to lead well in the world, 
the first place we need to lead well is within ourselves. Yeah. But what he also said, which means that we need to elevate, like how do we elevate our frames, meaning go up into our brain from our brainstem up into our limbic system, up into our cortex and especially our prefrontal cortex. And how do, what are those practices, which you kind of hit on some of those pausing as an example, right? Pausing, noticing, and choosing, having more mindfulness, having more awareness. Uh, but he also said, uh, and this has been so key to our work that we've noticed is that people need to be in cycles of giving and receiving. Mm. Like if you look at our brain science and in, in the, the middle part of our brain, this is what he was talking about is that our brain is wired first for safety and then second for belonging. And then third for significance or strategy or things like that. And if so many times, and I think this is where leadership development has fallen short is it's focused so much on strategy and not a space where I'm in cycles of giving and receiving with other people. And while it seems a little frou-frou sometimes for some people, community is such an important factor involved in reducing isolation. We know this loneliness is one of the biggest issues around perpetuating nonprofit leader burnout. It's more deadly to us as human beings than obesity, smoking and drinking. Um, It reduces our longevity by 70% as an example from that study from uh, UC California and Irvine. And I know I'm thinking of people like Lisa Sims Booth, who said, uh, you know, this community has been such a safe space of support and having the accountability and goals related uh, to fundraising. You know, she's an incredible ED uh, in in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm thinking of Beth Rolstad, who said our fundraising work went from haphazard to routine. And so we've seen some of these stats that when we focus some of that, our attention on cognitive based leadership development, but not on community-driven leadership development. The the cognitive-based side really falls short. Yeah. It really becomes an issue. And especially when it's these one-offs too, right? As we were talking about earlier. Yeah. People just don't, they're, they're, they can't get and retain anything from there. And, and it's because they haven't had the time to really develop and learn the practices that they're that are going to support them in in changing their habits and changing their mindset. So I completely agree. And I, I think, Tucker, as you were talking, I was thinking about another one of our nonprofit leaders in our, our leadership collaborative who said to you, um, what was the quote about being rest-based? It's just, it, it was, I think it speaks to a fundamentally different approach. And I just love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she said, um, and this was a, just to give context, this is a organization uh, in Colorado Springs that does work with food uh, and food insecurity, especially in food um, sovereignty. Uh, she is an African-American uh, executive director of this particular nonprofit. And she said, really encouraged to see that this leadership training is focusing on rest. It is revolutionary. Yeah. Um, essentially spaces to pause, to reflect, to figure out where we're going, what's going on within me so that I can also elevate those without, you know, or outside of me. Yeah. And I love that framing of it, it like correlating or putting together self-awareness and rest, right? And this idea that when we're not resting or pausing, it's harder for us to be self-aware, which mm-hmm. I think is the case, right? And so part of what we've set up in nonprofits and everywhere else is this dynamic where we're going, 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 don't have the space to pause and therefore lack the ability in many ways to be self-aware. In, mm-hmm. in a way that's going to help us lead better within and then better without. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love this focus on, and, and you said all the time that when machines pause, they break or stop, they break. And when humans they stop pause, working. Yeah. right, they start working. 
Mm-hmm. And so at the base the better parts of, of them, yeah. leadership is pause, it's rest, it's self-awareness. And nonprofit leaders, given where they're in and the circumstance to take us back to where we started, they're going through so much. These are such tough times. Revenue's unstable. Folks can't hire. There's a lack of training and development. But what if we could give people rest? What if we could give them self-awareness? What if we could give them spaces and practices to help them not just professionally, but personally, so that mm-hmm. they can be of more service to their organizations? Mm-hmm. And and do it in the context of, of others uh, as a part of it, right? We know in from community. peer-based or from adult-based learning that we as, we as adults many times uh, way more learn from our peers than we do just from the experts, right? That's another issue with leadership development is, is that so much of it is expert-driven and not peer-driven. Um, and not that experts are bad, but when we create the conditions that allow for the learners who are in the room to be the teachers as well, uh, that community component uh, gives more and more permission for people to go there. Uh, it gives more and more, uh, it, it ultimately perpetuates more learning um, to where it's sticky. I remember uh, somebody did a, it was it was Barb actually over at Barb Galura over at Resolve, the National Infertility Association. And she said she did some, um, when she was doing her annual reviews with her team, she asked what was the best professional development they'd ever received. And it was, this was two years ago, and it was when we were just doing our Thrive Conversations. We did these 90-minute to two-hour workshops um, actually every week for a while right after COVID hit. And she said that their, her whole staff was saying that this was the best professional development you had. It was so sticky. That was specifically the word that they used, is that this was so sticky for them meaning that they learned it, right? That changed into, turned into behavior change and mindset change. And so much of that is because of how we co-create or create the space of co-creation where people are able to learn from one another, um, not just from us or some other experts coming into play. And so this, this, this sort of twofold of individual and self-awareness growth mixed with the, in the context of a community and letting innovations be set free through um, helping each other learn from each other uh, has really proven to be a very powerful leadership development tool. Absolutely. Yeah. And it really speaks to our practice around how we teach and how we engage folks is really, you know, very tied in with theories of experiential learning, which research and studies have shown both increase um, satisfaction for the learner, but also retention of information, right? So the mm. way that we teach and engage matters. And, and we know this now in education. And I love that it is now being incorporated into how we do things like leadership development because it matters. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's, let's, uh, let's close this out with like kind of a rapid fire. What should people do? Um, and so I think from a from a philanthropic oriented organization, you know, a, a foundation, a donor, whatever it might be to me is is uh, the next big step is think about community driven leadership development, almost like an insurance policy for your philanthropic investments. Um, right. It undergirds the ability for burnout and turnover to not happen, which uh, which then perpetuates more impact and actually more revenue uh, for the organization. So if you're thinking about this and you're looking at your, uh, your portfolio of all the different uh, programs that you're funding, go into those by asking how the leader is doing, wonder what's going on and see where there are different ways that you might be able to support not only that one organization, but creating spaces for all those organizations that you're funding 
uh, to be able to connect with one another, grow in a leadership development type of context. Sarah, what, what would you say around, but if, uh, let's say I'm a nonprofit leader, what would you say are some key next steps uh, for them as well? Yeah, well, you know, if you are in an organization that, that has um, some dollars for professional development, consider uh, consider getting folks to invest in leadership development. And, and again, not just the cognitive, but the leadership development that supports folks in connecting into their inner awareness. As an individual, I would say, though, even if that's not possible, there are things you can do. And that is partially about, uh, one, starting to integrate some practices that will help you become more self-aware. So whether that's box breathing, deep breathing, meditation, yoga, what are two practices that you can do um, quickly each day? And, and ideally, quite frankly, in during the workday, these shouldn't just be practices that you can do outside, but they should be practices you can do while you're at work that can help you become more self-aware. So that's number one. And number two is as you become more self-aware, you're going to notice things coming up. You're going to notice inspiration. You're going to notice wisdom. You're going to notice feelings. Write them down. Write them down. Because what you're noticing is can help direct and guide your next steps. Um, and so those are the mm. two things I would I would say to folks to start doing. Yeah, there's that great quote from Viktor Frankl that says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Oh, I love that. I love that quote. And he's right. You know, we can be triggered by something, but it doesn't mean we need to react to it. Right. Um, and and being a, being aware of that and noting that, as you said, uh, notating what are, what what are you noticing about what's happening within you? Dr. Daniel Friedland spe- speaks to this directly too. Is we too we we over identify with the things that we're feeling. We say things like "I am angry" or "I am annoyed" or "I am sad" or "I suck." Even <laughs> you know, versus uh, I'm noticing that I'm having feelings of self doubt where I'm noticing that I'm feeling, uh, I'm getting a sense of reactivity right now. Like that is actually an important shift that goes back to Viktor Frankl's quote. And so starting to note some of those and inviting your teams to do that too, right? Do it in the context of your own community, inviting your teams to pause as you were saying. Um, we do this at the beginning, sometimes that we've been doing at the beginning of our Thriver meetings too, which is uh, literally creating three minutes worth of literal silence and pause for people to just get in the room and we say we're going to pause for just a minute get present in the room um, and be able so that we were all able to be here and listen we do this on zoom we do this in person i mean it all works no matter what the technology you use um, but just creating spaces of pause is helpful yeah awesome well thank you everybody for being here uh, and listening to our thrivers podcast uh, I'm curious if this one's going to tee up a little bit more around some of the nuts and bolts around leadership development. Um, we'll see where the next podcast goes, but, uh, Sarah, as always, it was great to be here with you. We did talk about some of those resources uh, today. We'll put those in the show notes and our, on our website at thriveimpact.org slash podcast. Uh, and the last thing is, is we, uh, have regular workshops coming up too, including the awakening conscious leadership, uh, 101 workshop, which kind of introduces people to the space of Dr. Daniel Friedland's work around conscious leadership, um, as well as things like appreciative inquiry and the power of the questions that we choose and that we ask. Uh, so I'd go check that out, thriveimpact.org slash workshops. Those are all coming up 
at various different times. We'd love to have you come uh, and check it out. Until next time, we'll see you then. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, y'all. Bye, everyone. (laughs) 